Well, good morning. morning as I come, it brings back many memories. It's been a long time since I've uh, delivered a message uh, to you folks from this pulpit. But uh, when I was thinking about it this week, I think that uh, if you add up the years, I guess I was 16 years old when I first came out here and uh, rode my old jalopy out here and uh, met with the church here in Fredericton and Cavendish and had uh, three messages usually on each Sunday. So I think they thought that I needed a lot of practice at that time. <laughs> and uh, at that time, I, I uh, wondered, you know, uh, about my speaking ability, but they were all very encouraging. And uh, we had a great time of fellowshipping and, uh, and meeting and growing in faith together. And uh, I guess sometimes people say that, uh, well, certain habits are like, driving a bicycle. Once you learn how to drive a bicycle, you never forget. And uh, yet, I, I just wonder whether uh, I'm still able to drive a bicycle or not. It's been a few years since I did that, too. It reminds me of a story of Angus McLean, uh, the premier that I used to work uh, with, uh, that when he was in the war, he was shot down over Germany. He was a pilot. And uh, when he was shot down, uh, he had to find his way back to Belgium and uh, try not to be captured and put into uh, a prison camp. And so he had to travel in many ways, and people would often suggest to him, well, Angus, uh, take, take my bike, you know, I don't need the bike, and uh, it'll get you there a lot faster, and you travel at night and everything, and it's the best way to go. And he said, well, he says, I'm sorry, he says, but I don't know how to drive a bike. <laughs> and it was an amazing thing that even to his uh, old age, uh, Angus could, uh, could never drive a bike, ride a bike. And so uh, he did make it back, of course, to Belgium and then back eventually to PEI where he became an MP and then the premier for a while. But it just reminds me always when I think about driving a bike, that, uh, that Angus, this is one of the one of the skills that he never developed as a youngster and never did learn how to drive one. Well, this morning I've come to speak about something that um, that has been uh, uh, just uh, with me over the past uh, a few weeks, and it is the whole idea of uh, of God's love and. Last week, for the communion, I, I referred to a passage of scripture that I'm going to, um, to uh, refer to once again. It's in John chapter 14, verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people shall know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Now, the time, as we recognize this, as it falls into John's Gospel, is toward the very end of Jesus' ministry. And he definitely wanted to share with them something that was significant, that they would not forget. And so he used the occasion to, uh, to present this idea, which was not a new idea, but one that um, was to him one of the most important 
because he called it a commandment that they were to follow, one of his commandments or the commandment from him. And whenever he gave the message of loving one another as God had loved him, I think that we find a, a remarkable um, relationship here between Jesus and God. We find that, that Jesus believed, and this is not just from this passage, but all through his teaching, he believed that God loved him in a way that enabled him to love other people, and that he imitated that love as he loved other people. And it was if it were passed down from the Father to him when he came into the world. And he thanked God for the love that he had given to him. And he said that, that uh, a little further on in, in uh, John 15, he said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. So there is a real uh, message here, I think, for us today. And that is that Jesus learned how to love other people. As I have loved you, continue you then in my love in the same way. How did Jesus love his disciples? That is, I guess, what we have to, to ask ourselves today. Because if we want to know how to love other people in our relationship with them, this is the answer to it. Look at the way that Jesus loved his disciples. And it was the same way that God had loved him and was loving him during his ministry. Now, I know that uh, you have to go back some, some time. I was going back uh, 57 years, the time when I was first preaching here. But you have to go back to your early days this morning and think about um, the, the first experiences that you were having with love in your life. And love is a big, big um, part of living. And, and it, it's uh, much too big to just include in this message. But, but love was, was something that we begin to experience very early in life. And it came sometimes when we were just attracted to someone, uh, particularly of the opposite sex. I could say that today, perhaps Perhaps I could say that then, perhaps not always today, but of the opposite sex, uh, we were attracted to someone and we felt this strange feeling. The strange feeling came over us of actually liking them. And then it turned into liking them a lot. And the interesting thing is that if that other person was showing that in any way and responded, then that just helped that love to grow. But if the other person just ignored it, or just laughed it off, or just wasn't interested, then quite likely what we would do is that we would drop that feeling of love that we had for them. And so from a very early stage, what we begin to realize is that we love people who love us back. And if they don't love us back, then there's going to be a problem in our relationship. And I'm afraid that started early in our lives and it just continues into our adult life. That if we do not receive love selflessly, that selflessly, without 
self getting something for it, then it's hard for love to continue and to flourish and to develop. Now, when we uh, think that uh, what we get from love, I think that quite often we also think, well, what will I not get from love if I don't love? And when we think of marriage, for instance, we suggest to the two getting married that they're going to get happiness from this relationship and fulfillment and, and a lot of uh, support and a lot of uh, encouragement in life. And so it's the same way for all of our relationships. We think that if we don't get love back from people, we're going to live a lonely life. We're not going to have any friends. We're going to live a very empty life, a, very, uh, a life that is not really fulfilling. And so what we do is that we, we try to find love. We, we want to, to give that to other people so we will get love in return. But now I'm afraid that that is not the type of love that Jesus showed to his disciples. He did not. He did not love them in order to get them to love him in return. His only desire was to give love from himself to them. He alone knew what he could do, that he could do something for them. And in the scripture, Jesus says on different occasions, uh, and the disciples following him did, copied it, they said, don't just talk about love, act and do love to other people. And so Jesus alone knew that he could do something for other people. And so he never went around, for instance, making it a condition of helping them. He never said, well, I'll perform a miracle on you today. I'll give you back your eyesight if you promise to love me in return and, and uh, contribute to my ministry and support the work that I'm involved in here. He never said any of those things, ever. The thrill of receiving for self was never considered when he did any of the miracles. And I think also something as as perhaps as simple as turning the water into wine. He never said to the, all the people at the wedding, all right, did you see what I just did here? How about an applause for that? I know that we were running out of wine, and I know that, uh, that you really need to celebrate this wedding. No, Jesus never said that. He never said anything about the greatness of his miracles. When he fed the 5,000, and now I know that they wanted to have him feed them the next day when they got hungry again, but did he ever just walk among the crowd then and say, did you get enough? Are you full? Are you satisfied from what I did for you here today? I'm afraid you don't find those comments coming from him or from the writers of the Gospels. And so what did he do it for? If he didn't do it for self, why did he love people by doing things for them? Well, he states it very clearly. He did it in order to glorify the Father, to glorify God the Father in heaven. And he did it um, from the very beginning of his ministry. He said, that is my reason to bring glory and to bring honor 
and to bring praise to my Father in heaven for giving me his love. We, th we look at this really carefully in this passage that I just read in John chapter 14. And it was just after Judas uh, received the saw and went out into the night to betray him. Jesus said something very interesting in verse, in verse 31. He said, therefore, when he was going out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. By what was about to happen, this is referring to going to the cross, Jesus was going to be glorified, but God was going to be glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, verse 32, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. And this is sort of a, a repeat of what he's trying to express here, that if God is going to be glorified in the cross, then Jesus is going to be glorified. And then also he will glorify him for his people, for those who put their trust and their faith in him. And so th this seems to be something that we have to then apply to our lives. How do we do things for other people that we know that we can do for them and think that we're going to glorify and praise God by doing it? And I think the reason is, the, the way to do it is just by doing something in such a way of showing our love is that people will say, why did you do that? What made you do that? How did you think of doing that? Wasn't that strange that you would do something like that for me? And then when that would happen, when we'd get comments like that, we should say, well, I, I guess it's just because I'm a nice person. <laughs> I guess it's just because I wanted you to like me. I guess I wanted to be popular and get your vote. I guess the reason that I did these things for you is that I wanted you to love me. Now, Jesus didn't say any of those things. He said, I did this to glorify my Father God. And so this morning, I think that, that um, probably that's one of the best times, the most teachable moments that we can have with other people. Do something for them in love for them, and then say, I did it to bring praise or honor or glory to God the Father. And when we do, then that's all that Jesus would want that it happen. Because that's what God had taught him in his ministry to do. He had taught his disciples. He had taught us to imitate him in that way. Now the second way that I think that he loved his disciples was understandingly. Sometimes we say that, well, Love is blind. It, it can overlook anything. And you particularly say that if you are very much loving another person. You can overlook, and you can just let it go and pass it by. But a love like that will always end in disappointment and disillusionment. Because what it's doing, it's, it's remembering that, that something happened that was not good, something you did not agree with. 
And so over time, if love is blind, then that type of love is going to end. That type of love is going to get weak. That type of love is going to suffer. But he loved, his love was for a person who when he did not see just part of the person, but the whole person. And not only the person for better, but also for worse. <laughs> so he could see those things that we blindly would say, we're not going to think about that. But he could see those things and he could still love them fully in spite of that. I talked about a bit about this last week in communion. And it was talking about as creatures, we are prone to all kinds of weaknesses and failures. And yet Jesus overlooked all those in order to do something because he knew he could do something for his followers. And so never did he, uh, for instance, then ask the other person to do something for him in payment. Never did he say, well, you owe me now. <laughs> We're, we, uh, I'll, I'll think about I'll remember this. Never did he uh, have the idea that in his relationships that, that even though they were really unlovely, that he couldn't love them anymore. Because remember what I was saying, um, he knew their moods, he knew their irritabilities, what bothered them, he knew their, their, their denial, their denial uh, tributes, attributes. He knew their power-seeking desires. He knew their controlling desires. He knew their negativity and their doubting and their skepticism. He knew their instability and their insensitivity to what he was trying to do in his life. He knew how slow it was for them to pick up on messages that he was trying to illustrate and tell stories about and, and uh, do everything he could to get them to understand. And he knew, I guess, most finally, that they were cowards, that they had a lot of fear. And one of the things that the scripture says about love, if we have love, is that it's not afraid. It doesn't have fear attached to it. And so one thing that I guess we learn from Jesus is loving understandably his disciples is that he did not have a fear of loving them for who they were. And sometimes the way it is with our love is that we hurt the people that love us the most. It's an ironic twist of things but we end up hurting those people that love us the most because we cannot love them understandably. Jesus had an enduring love, a love that was never going to end for the world and for his people. And it was built on forgiveness, of course, but, but not so much on forgiveness. Because he, he considered it something that was not relevant and necessary to exist in order to love. We are poor creatures, and we recognize that. But we do recognize that his love was marvelous and great. His mercy was able to, to 
look beyond all of our weaknesses and to continue to love us. As the Father has loved me, he said, so have I loved you in all of the problems and the difficulties that are in your lives. In John 15, 19, he said, so have I loved you, continue you in my love. In other words, let that love that you found in me continue in you all your life. Don't let it end. Don't become bitter about the things that have happened that are not good. <clears throat> Don't allow envy and, and strife to come into your relationships with people and, and a lack of, of uh, acceptance. Let your love endure forever. And the final thing, I guess, there are many things, but <clears throat> the final things that I'd say about about uh, <clears throat> excuse me, about God's love for us to Jesus and then to us is the way that God loved us. And we learn not only from Jesus this, but we learn from the Father. And Jesus made this remarkable statement. It's really the essence of the gospel, the good news. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave me that whosoever would believe and put his trust his love in me would never die, but live eternally. And so, whenever we, we see the God of our world as a God of love, we see the world a lot differently. The world looks a lot different for a God who loves it the way he did. But yet we get these feelings from our, um, our relationships with people and our own human tendencies, this is what begin, we often begin thinking about God. Well, God did not uh, love us without being pacified. Jesus was a pacifier. And that's why he sent Jesus into the world so that he would be able to forgive us if Jesus had not come into the world and pacify him, then he would never forgive us. That is not the love. That is agape love that loves unconditionally everyone in this world. Jesus did not do something which changed the attitude of God. And to think that somehow the New Testament shows a different sort of God because of the way Jesus lived, is not relevant. Because Jesus said, as the Father has loved me unconditionally, so have I loved, loved you. <coughs> the mainspring of the being of God is love. And when we, when we see that, he did not look at the world and say, I'm going to break them. I'm going to humble them. I'm going to, to lash them and discipline them and do things to them until they come back to me, pursue them until they come back. That is not the way that God of love is. And if we start thinking about God like that, then it'll make us sad. And we'll think that God will, you're never gonna, I'm never gonna 
be accepted to you because I can't. God did not love us in order to satisfy his own desires. How can we not see that? For power, he did not need power over us. Or to subject us to himself. He did not need us to be subjected to him. God acted not for his own sake, but for ours. And his yearning over us is referred to all through the scripture. His yearning for people, his wooing people, his his desiring people to love him is something that is a very part of his nature. But the unlovely and the lonely and the ones who barely ever have even a thought about them, he loves them as much as he loves anyone. Augustine once said, God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us to love. And so this morning, I'd like for us to just think about God like that. Think about God is love. In John, if you read the the letter to John at the end of the New Testament, John, who was called the disciple whom Jesus loved, because I guess he He really appreciated the love that he got from Jesus. He said all through his letter, it's a great letter, and it should be called the letter of love and the type of love that Jesus gave to his disciples. He that dwells in love, John says, he that lives in love lives in God, and God lives in him. There's no other thing other than dwelling and living in God involved here. There are no other conditions that are set out for that to happen. And when Jesus said in John chapter 3 that God so loved the world, he wasn't referring, of course, to a nation. We hardly have to say that now because the world is trying to be so inclusive. He never said that to a particular race. He never said that to a particular color to a certain language, to a certain ethnic background, to a certain people with a different history and, and lifestyle than the Western world. No, he said, just God so loved the whole world in an unconditional way that he gave his son Jesus, his only begotten one, so that whoever would accept the love that he offered would be able to live with him eternally. And so this morning, as we, uh, as we meet, I'd like for us to just uh, thank God again. We do it uh, almost uh, weekly, daily, by moment sometimes, especially when we need him. We say, God, I love you. Please help me now. But let's just thank God again for the love that he's given us today. Dear Father, we recognize today in, a, in an inadequate way, but the way that our, our words and our ideas try to express themselves, we recognize today your love. And we recognize the way that we show that love, that we do that love to other people who we can do something for, anyone that we can do something for, then in many and in every way, We are glorifying you, Lord.
bringing praise to you. And it's not because you need it, but because you are love. And it's because we're drawing from you and we are dwelling and living with you and you are living in return in us. And we thank you for that, Lord, for living in us today and how we just wish, Lord, that more and more of your people, of the people of this world, will come to know your love and will live their life in it. Amen.